We are on episode number 25 of the Path to Follow podcast. I am here today with Diane Fuller. Diane, thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. It's a pleasure to have you in the recording studio, and I'm excited to talk to you about your path to Gilman and everything that you do here and what the year has been like for you so far. So I'm looking forward to it. Sounds like a plan. Um, I feel like we don't see... I'm usually... The library is my I, spot. It's I was my... going to say, we miss not having you in the library. I know. That's been a tough part. It is. You come by for coffee and books, and I find you in the back standing, like, reading books on the top of the shelves and everything, so... You're you're closing up at 4.30, and I'm still back there? Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. We locked you in a couple of times, but I think that was okay. That's okay. And, <laughs> yeah, I miss in the mornings was the best part is, last year at least, before the pandemic, yes. I would get coffee with... Shanti Kumar, Shanti Kumar in the in the office. Yes, you guys have a Keurig in there that people don't know about. They don't. That we probably so shouldn't tell people about. Well, but it's it's a good kept. It's a well, it's the best kept secret. But it's okay if we share a little bit of coffee with people. So. Yeah, true. And can, you have candy in there. Not as much candy this year because no. people aren't stopping by as much. So we've got a couple more snacks, but um, candy will be back when the pandemic's over. So yeah, it's a great spot to hang out. Thank it's my you. favorite spot. My favorite spot too. So yeah. Well, tell me about what the library has been like this year. Wow, it's been very different this year. Um, we have um, Dr. Dennis and Ms. Gorham and Ms. Thaxton in the library, and they're overseeing the students whose teachers are teaching remotely. So they're assigned to come to the library. So for the first three periods in the morning, we have students in the library who are on their laptops in class. And um, Dr. Dennis and her um, her team are kind of overseeing them, making sure that they have what they need. And then after the classes end, um, we're open from 1.30 to 3.30 for browsing or research help. My advisory um, meets in the library classroom, so they're kind of hanging out there a bit. But otherwise, we're open for people to come in in the afternoon between 1.30 and 3.30. Um, we've had a few people in, but not not the crowds like we usually do. Mm-hmm. So I miss seeing a lot of the students come by and um, just use the library, be in the library, and and ask questions. So it's a little bit different. For sure. But we're still there. You're still there. I will say, of all the spaces at Gilman, you guys have done a really good job in terms of the gloves for handling the books. <laughs> and you have hand sanitizer, yes. and you return the books in this cubicle, right? Yes. Everything is very sanitary. We, yes. And that's what we spend a lot of time in the spring and over the summer with reading research protocols, the American Library Association and other guidelines, um, because books are shared material in the library. So we don't want somebody to have had it, return it, and then there be contract tracing and have somebody catch the virus that way. So mm-hmm. um, anytime material is returned, it goes into quarantine. <laughs> so... Um, there are um, studies that show how long it has to sit before the virus is no longer on it. So that's why material goes into one of the study rooms, which is our quarantine room. And we track it and hold it there. And that way we can make it available for students again with as little um, possibility as um, possible um, of, ca- of contacting contracting COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been up to date with that. We try and maintain contact with the American Library Association and what studies are being done for that. Um, But that's also where we've also added resources. We've expanded our collection on OverDrive, 
or some people call it Sora now. It's the platform for schools where you can get ebooks and audiobooks. So we've really expanded the um, offerings through the online platform. And then we also started a subscription to Swank, um, which is a film streaming service. So I know a lot of the teachers are using that for some of their classes okay. as well. So we're trying to make as much available online as we can. I haven't heard of Swank. Oh. Swank is Swank is a library for videos mm -hmm. and movies. And... Yeah, it's um, Swank Digital Campus. And remind me, I'll send you the email link again. And teachers can go and they can um, copy a link and put a film embedded in their Canvas class. And then teacher, then students can go in and view the film for their class. So oh, great! Can... John Rowley uses a lot uses it a lot for his senior elective. Oh, right, his film yeah, study. his film studies class. Yep. Okay, well that's great to know for mm -hmm. me in terms of my classes because that's something that I've been struggling with. I usually show movies and clips yeah. in physical class, yeah. but it's been hard to do that over Zoom a yep. little bit. Um, but I'd love to check yeah. out Swank. Swank. And even personally, like I was thinking, because in your office in that back, you have every movie <laughs> DVD in the filing cabinets yep. that was ever made. And it's well, like- Not everyone that's ever made. A lot of we them. We have a lot of them. A lot so. of them. And I'm like, do I need to just you know, go into a time machine and just buy a, a DVD player so I can watch some of these movies because, you know. Well, we do also have a portable DVD player that you can rent and hook up to your laptop. So. I've, I've definitely checked that yes. out a few times. <laughs> um, what What else are the librarians working on right now or this year? Um, it's... A lot of the same thing. Um, I'm still doing classes for teachers as they request them, but since students are remote and it's harder to get into the classroom, I'm recording videos and posting them on can my can the library Canvas page, and then also sending the link to the teachers so they can put it on their Canvas page. And then I'll attend Zoom classes and do Q and A's um, for help with um, research questions. Miss Scott and Miss um, Garten just did um, part of Overdrive. They do the big um, read in November. So Reverie was the book this year. Mm -hmm. So we opened it up to faculty and students. And so I think we had six or eight students participate in that. So that's kind of spurred us on to do a book club. So mm -hmm. we're doing um, Patron Saint of Nothing, which is the next book that's been announced that Miss Scott and uh, Miss Garten are organizing. So if you're interested in doing that, then we can get you an e-copy um, or a print copy of the book. And then in February, there'll be a book club meeting. Great. That sounds awesome. I've definitely heard of that revelry and the next one that's that's going to be coming out soon or announced soon. Patron, patron, Saint, of no patron Saint of Nothing. Okay. Um, how do you select books for that book club? Is it just what's popular or do you guys read certain books um, and then decide or how is how is Revelry and how is Painter and Saint of Nothing decided? Good question. Um, Revelry was decided because that's what Overdrive announced that they were doing for the, the big read. And it's a national program that they do with all of their schools that are part of um, their system. So that one was decided. So we joined that. And then Patron Saint of Nothing Miss Garten and Miss Scott um, took a look at some of the newer books um, for YA Young Adult and ones that sounded really interesting and were getting good reviews. And we polled the students that had read Reverie to see which one they wanted to read. And unanimously, they all picked Patron, wow. Saint of Nothing. And I've been curious to read it, so I was kind of excited that they picked that one. And so that's how we picked that one. Um, and then the next one after that will probably be, again, um, talk with the group, um, take suggestions of what people are interested in reading. Mm -hmm. So from what I understand, you are 
very much interested and almost expert in young adult YA <laughs> books. And I want to talk about that because before the podcast, I was thinking, it's like young adult books, YA books. Yep. Do I know, do I read young adult? And I was looking through the list of young adult books and that's how I really got mm -hmm. into reading itself and interested in English and interested in yep. literature is from reading so many young adult books growing up. And I have so many favorites that just yes. came back into my memory mm -hmm. from looking up some of those examples. Do you know what's considered, what book is considered the first YA book, even though it wasn't marketed that way because they didn't have the term at the time? I don't. Catcher in the Rye. I did see that on the list yeah. and I was like, that's young adult. Yeah, it's If it was published today, it would be classified as young adult. Just usually things that our protagonist is someone between the ages of 12 and 18, usually less than 300 pages, very few adult parental roles, but like the action and the main part of the story happens with people who are in that 12 to 18 hmm. age group. So, um, so yeah, if it was published today, it would be considered a YA, YA title. But it's also one of the most frequently banned books. It is. Catcher in the Rye. Yes. That's, that's a weird... Uh... It's, when it was published, it was very radical at the time. So, you know, talking about drugs and sex and everything else so it's just you know one of those titles that people we could do a whole podcast on banned, banned books, <laughs> on banned yeah. books or challenged books but yeah it's where people get offended by what they read and they don't think anybody should read it hmm. and that is totally not my philosophy that um you know you shouldn't tell somebody what they can and they can't read that you should be able to read whatever's of interest to you um i had a professor when i was in grad school um who said that every li everybody should be able to find a book that offends them in their library, that mm. you know you should be able to find a book that you don't think should be there because just because you aren't interested in it doesn't mean somebody else isn't interested in it. So, you know, Harry Potter is one of the most banned books these days. Mm. Um, why, why would Harry Potter be banned? Witchcraft. Really? And spells, yes. So who, librarians choose? Librarians do not ban books. Who, who bans books? Other people. Like we have their church groups who will ban something or challenge something. And it's, we call it banned books week because the alliteration of it, it's, you know, it sounds good, but a book has to be challenged before it's banned. So books are challenged for different reasons. So um, church groups usually um, challenge books because of um, evil or witchcraft or um, spirits. Um, there are parental groups who, um, who challenge books because of um, sex or drugs or um, something they don't want their a religious belief they don't want their child to be exposed to. Hmm. So the challenge goes to the library and libraries have methods of some of when something's challenged, how they determine whether to keep it in the collection or not. But um, you know it's a challenged book and then if it's actually removed from the library, then it's a banned book. But, um, but your thought process on that is you should be able to read what you want to read. And if it offends you, that's almost some of the purpose of reading is mm -hmm. to challenge your beliefs and, yes. and, and to offend you. And maybe you can think a little bit deeper about why it offends you. Yes. Yeah. I think exactly. I have a similar philosophy. Yes. But for sure, I, I mean, I was thinking Lolita, for example, is one mm -hmm. of those books that I read in college and it was yep. still very shocking yes. to... I'm sure that was one of the banned books, Lolita. Yep. Um, Harry Potter, that's surprising. Harry Potter. It's the most banned book. 
If you want to go back to your elementary school days, Captain Underpants is, is a challenged book or a banned book. So, that was a great one, know, too. Yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of great books that have been challenged or banned. A lot of my young adult reading, uh, and it's funny because... I love I like dogs, but mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not the biggest dog person ever. Okay. Like I have no desire right now in my life to get a dog because I'm just trying to take care of myself almost. Yep. And I don't need to go home and let out my dog right. every couple of hours. Or worry that you don't get home in time to take them out. And Do you have a dog? No, you don't. Yeah, I, I grew up with them, but I don't have one right now. I have no desire at all. You can have your dog and I'll <laughs> pet I'll pet your dog and I'll say hi, but I'm not going to get one anytime soon. But my young adult reading, all of those books had dogs in them. Like I loved mm. Old Yeller, Sounder. Mm -hmm. I was looking at the list last night. One of my favorites is called Where the Red Fern Grows. Do you mm -hmm. know that one? Uh, Wilson Rawls. That was, I mean, I think my dad read that too. And we both mm -hmm. loved that. But so many of them had animals. It's interesting. I never, in never thought of that. Yeah. I don't know. I think. Charlotte's Web, another banned book, but with animals. Charlotte's Web's banned too. Mm -hmm. Really? So many books that you yeah. would never think. Mm -hmm. um, why Why is Charlotte's Web? Because of um, talking animals. Really? Yeah. That's absurd, though. That's, that's I mean, I guess yes. everyone can find a problem they, with. If, if you look hard enough, yes, you can. Hmm. So. so where did your interest in young adult books or your, that's your specialty, right? That's where you. Um, wow. I. I not sure if I would have called it my specialty, but it's definitely an area of interest mm -hmm. of mine. Um, and long story. So if I if I go too much into rewind, as my brother in law go calls ahead, it, please do. Let me know. Um, but I always loved reading as a kid, and um, you know, Beverly Cleary was one of my favorites. That's a great one. The Nancy Drew books, um, Judy Bloom, um, very popular with um, adolescent girls. Um, so I was always reading and always in the library and getting into a little bit of how I got where I am now. Um, when I was in college, I was a broadcasting and film major. I was going to do TV production, but didn't like California. And per diem work in New York was really hard um, mm -hmm. to come by. I grew up in New Jersey, so I'd go into New York. Um, but then I got a job at Forbes magazine in their archives. And so I was in charge of their audio video collection. So I kind of was working there and, go, and then decided to go to grad school for library science. And um, through subsequent jobs, I won't go too too far <laughs> into detail. Um, I used to work at the University of Maryland Baltimore campus, and so a lot of heavy research based um, work that I was doing, and was getting a little bit burnt out. And then um, my sister sent me the job posting for here at Gilman, and just sounded really excited about the opportunity and the position. And so um, when I got here. I've been so concentrated into health sciences and working with nursing students that I, it was refreshing to just be able to read for pleasure again. So then I started reading more young adult literature, figuring working with high school students that that would be what they were reading. So the very first book that I read that summer um, was um, Traveling Light by Katrina, Katrina Kittle, which Dan Christian, who used to be on the English faculty, you probably heard his name mentioned mm -hmm. before. I think on every podcast, Dan Christian has been mentioned. <laughs> oh, really? We need to get him on I here. haven't, I'm not completely up to date on the podcast, but I think you're right. I think he has been everyone, mentioned. Everyone has time. a story about Dan Christian yes. or he's influenced <laughs> everyone in some way. So he's a legend. Yeah. So he, um, we had the Mountcastle lecture at the time. And so it would alternate between English and history. And so it was the year that the English department was doing it. And Dan Christian had worked with getting the Katrina Kittle book, Traveling Light. 
And I was just so amazed by the book and the writing that it was in. And it wasn't a typical story that you would think high school students would be reading and high school boys would be reading. And I was just really impressed that the school was using that book. It was a former ballet dancer who was um, injured, but then she, so she wasn't dancing anymore. And then she was taking care of her brother who was dying of AIDS. Hmm. So, you know, a little light reading. <laughs> yeah, it's heavy. But the the writing was beautiful. And just, I was really impressed again that the school was having teenage boys read this as, as one of their summer reading books. And so, um, so that kind of spurred me on to read more of what was going on. So um, I've taken a couple of workshops on young adult literature. Last year, I just, I finished it a year ago. Um, this month, I was on the Morris Awards Committee, which um, is from the American Library Association. And it is an award for debut author of young adult fiction. Mm. So the last year um, from what, 19, <laughs> January of 19, um, 2019 through January of 2020, I was reading all adult debut authors, which was great. Um, I'm not a huge fantasy reader, but I can't say that anymore because I had to read a lot of fantasy books. Mm. And there were some really great titles um, that I read, which I wouldn't have read if I wasn't on the awards committee. Yeah. And um, so then in last year's ALA Midwinter Meeting, we announced the winner, which was... Um, Field Guide to the North American Teenager by Ben Philippe. Hmm. So, um, so got to meet him and the other authors who were the finalists and everything. So it's just, it just seemed like a natural progression of what to start reading when I was coming to work in a high school and just kind of went from there. How has your reading and investment in young adult fiction maybe caused you to see boys or the boys at Gilman or adolescent mm -hmm. boys in a different way or maybe like a closer wow. look at boys because I feel like if you're reading that much young adult literature you're maybe changing your viewpoint mm -hmm. and perspective on like young adults really that is a great question yeah especially working at a school <laughs> think, like yeah. this you know wow now I'm gonna have to think about this um a couple of things one is reading more fantasy now which again being on the awards committee it has led me to read more fantasy and a lot of our boys um like to read fantasy hmm. so so that's been interesting. Um, trying to expose myself to different types of boys. Um, reading books by um, Walter Dean Myers, who tends to write about inner city youth, usually tied to some sports program. So I've read books where he's written about basketball players. He wrote Monster is his yeah. favorite one, yeah. famous one, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and Slam, I think, was another one that I read of his. Slam's great. I, yeah. I read that. So, um yeah, so just some of, you know, the description he uses and the the language that he uses has been amazing. Um, I think one of the funny thing with publishing side is I find that a lot of the YA books um, still tend to have female protagonists. <laughs> mm -hmm. So sometimes I get frustrated with not being able to find more books that have boys as the protagonist. Hmm. Um, or that's, that's interesting because it typically is. it's the other way around, right? It is. And, and that's one of the, the frustrations that I have is I'll be reading a description and it sounds like a really good book. And then I, I look at it to decide if I'm going to buy it for the library or not because a female protagonist and like, will the boys want to read that and hear a female voice, um, for them? Um, 
the other thing that I've um, I've noticed with publishing is the, their design of book covers, mm. <laughs> and that'll be a. I'm trying to remember the title of the book, and I can't remember. Um, sorry, tapping. Um, I think it was like my name was Pohai or something, and the cover really neat story about a group of boys um, making up a fictional character to like apply to college to see if he would get into college. So they sort of made it you know, a, a fake student up to apply for college. But the cover was like pinks and purples. And I'm like, no teenage boy is going to want to like be seen reading a book with <laughs> the pink and purple cover. Yeah. So, um, so when I go to the library conference, I'm usually like talking to the publishers about, you know, does not think of design when you're, you know, pushing books for, for boys because. Yeah. You know. I mean, people say don't judge a book by the cover, by the but cover. when I'm in a bookstore, I'm judging books by the cover. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out what's appealing to me. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's true in some cases, maybe not with people don't judge people by what they look like, right. but for books, you have to at least interest me with the cover. Exactly. And and I'm I'm guilty of the same thing where it's, you know, the cover is going to grab my attention. And so it's going to make me pick up the book to see if I want to read it or not. And I actually brought um, one of my favorite books with me that I've read since I started at Gilman is called 13 Reasons Why by Jay Asher. Um, not the Netflix series. The Netflix series, I stopped watching it because it was ruining the book for me. Really? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I don't know if you've read it. I have not i think i've seen so much seen of the, the, ne the netflix, netflix series so um so for me when i first read it it was amazing for me reading the book and while the book centers around a, a young girl who commits suicide but it's the um and i'm drawing a blank on the character's name i'm sorry but it's a student who get a boy in her class. She recorded um, audio cassettes or cassette tapes with reasons for why she committed suicide. And so the main story, the story is told through a student who receives the tapes and he's listening to the tapes to find out where he fits into her story and why she decided to commit suicide. See, and in the tapes is his... His story is in the tapes. So... Okay. Um, you know, it's it's a more positive story in her life story, but he has to listen to all the tapes to find out why he's received them. Only 13 people get the copies of the tapes. So um, not explaining it very well. But the cover of the book has a girl sitting on a swing on the, um, you know. Would you, would you mind holding it up? No, Sorry. Not at all. That would be great. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry. Scratch out of you. So um, this is okay. the cover. So it's a girl in, you know, scarf and hat and sweater sitting on a swing. Hmm. So for you, would you want to pick up this book and read it? Uh, maybe not. I mean, <laughs> there's just it seems like there's a lot going on yeah. there. Yeah. And again, that's, you know, publishers when they design covers and try to find fonts and things that make it appealing to people. But yep. I don't think they'd always think of um, how to appeal to a teenage boy. Interesting. Um, but yet the story is told from his point of view. And um, I just have to take a quick Clay. Clay. <laughs> Clay is the main character. So it's Clay listening to the tapes, going through the story. So it's his story and how it affected her story. So he's the protagonist. He is the protagonist. Not her. Not and she's her. on the cover. Right. So it's, you know, it's part of publishing is because they think it's going to appeal to more girls. So we'll market it towards girls. But it's a great book. Um, for everyone. For everyone. And... Um, we actually were fortunate enough, we had the author, Jay Asher, come to school, that um, the publisher was running 
a contest and he was going to visit a school in each of the 50 states. And so I entered and we won for Maryland. Nice. <laughs> so we were the Maryland stop on his um, on his book tour. And so he came and he spoke at assembly and talked about the book. And we actually gave away in, um, copies and he signed copies. Um, so it was a great experience. It's a great book to read to you don't always realize the effect that you have on someone, good or bad. In Clay's case, his his is a good story in her in her life, not true in intent for anybody. But it was really interesting for me to read the story. It's a different type of story because part of the story is him listening to the audio tape. So it's written as a narrative where it's her talking, even though it's him listening to her talk. But just to hear the impact of what you say or what you can do. Mm -hmm. What you do to someone has an effect, whether you realize it or not. And he had a positive impact. And he had on a her. positive impact okay, that's good. on her. Yeah, and that's where the Netflix series. I only watched half the episodes because then it started to divert from the book, and I wasn't enjoying it. Um, and in the Netflix series, they show her suicide, and in the book, they never. You mm -hmm. know, she committed suicide, but you never know mm -hmm. how, or it's not graphic. And in the series, it was. And then the series continued for subsequent seasons. So to me, it took off from the book. So that's why I didn't get into the Netflix series gotcha. of it. But um, it was a great experience having the author come. And that's another thing I love about what I do um, is getting to meet authors and talk about the work that they do and been fortunate enough to be able to bring authors to campus that um, Jason Reynolds and Brendan Kiley, who wrote um, All American Boys, which was a summer reading one year. They mm -hmm. came and spoke on campus. Um, the middle school has a Kwame Alexander come in. Um, we have Carol Boston Weatherford coming next week and on June, um, January 27th to do an assembly. So it's great, the authors that we've been able to bring by. It sounds Jay Asher, you said his name Jay was? Jay Asher, yeah. I mean, I what amazes me is how someone can put together or, or drum up an idea like that especially if it yeah. if you hadn't lived through it or it wasn't in your reality in some ways mm -hmm. how your imagination can lead you to put together something like that i don't know if he probably had a few leads maybe in his life maybe. but who knows yeah but still like the imagination it takes to write a book is insane mm -hmm. it's amazing like yeah. I mean, I, so I, I am a librarian and I'm happy to share books, but I'm not, I'm, not an, a, I'm not an author. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, what? So what made you or what inspired you to become a librarian? I know you said that you've always loved reading growing mm -hmm. up and books have always been in your yeah. life. But when was it real to you that you wanted to pursue uh, this profession? This profession. Um, good question. I... Like I said, I started working in for Forbes magazine in their archives department, overseeing their audio and video collection, which I thought was related to my undergraduate experience. And I really enjoyed it. Um, but then, and I got more involved with things, um, filling requests that, you know, the family would, um, we would get requests for pictures from the family. Um, and then Steve Forbes, one of one of the sons from the company, he ran for president in 1996. I'm dating myself. Um, he was running for the Republican nomination. And so his press office would contact the the archives. So I was working a lot with their with the, his press office to fill requests and do research on the on the family and photographs and everything. And was really enjoying that. And it was actually my supervisor who, um, the archivist, 
who suggested that I go to live, go to graduate school. And I knew I didn't probably want to stay in archives specifically. Um, and library programs usually are include archives. Like you can go in and study archival studies or library studies. And looking at it, I realized that when I was in school, I was always going to the library. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always, um, you know, in between classes, I'd go hang out in the library. Um, there's one memory I have of being at my parents' house and somebody trying to find a phone number for something. And it was before the internet, so I couldn't just pull out my phone mm-hmm. <laughs> and search for mm-hmm. it. And so like they, so they were trying to remember numbers, and I just went and pulled the, the, the white pages or the yellow pages out and looked it up, and I'm like, here you go. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like that clicked to me, like, oh, I can do this. Like I never thought being... I never thought of being a librarian as a profession. And it was only as I was working in archives and doing it that I realized, no, that's a that's a profession. That's something you can do. Mm-hmm. So um, I live, grew up in New Jersey. So I went to Rutgers and um, got my MLS. And from there, um, I was working full-time and going to school part-time because the archives was located in New Jersey. But then they were moving the archives into New York and decided that working full-time commuting to New York and going to school was too much. Yeah, too much. So I left the job and finished my degree full-time, worked part-time in the Alexander Library on (laughs) New Brunswick's campus, worked with some great people there, was an adjunct um, for a while. Um, They had people on sabbatical, so I finished my degree and worked there just doing reference work in the library and loved it. So it was job hunting. I got a job in Alexandria, Virginia for an association in their library. Um, position wasn't exactly what it was. They were having, it was a new position and then it sort of was evolving into publishing and I didn't want to get into publishing. So um, job hunting, I found the job at University of Maryland, Baltimore and was there for about seven years. And I started at Gilman in August of 2006. Did you know anything about Gilman before you came here? No. Did you said your sis, my sister, sister gave you the yes. newspaper? Yeah. Did she know about Gelman or was she it just? Did. Oh, she no, did. She did. Um, growing up in New Jersey, um, I have three sisters, so um, she went to Loyola College, Loyola University now, and she met her husband, so she stayed. He's from Baltimore. Gotcha. He did not go to Gelman. <laughs> um, so he was aware of Gelman. He went to Loyola Blakefield, and so. Um, so she was here. So, you know, I loved moving to Baltimore and watching my nieces, um, grow up. And so she knew I was looking for a new job. So she saw the posting and she sent it to me. And, um, John McGill was the headmaster at the time. Um, I interviewed with John Schmick, who is the assistant headmaster and, um, was thrilled when he called and offered me the position and the rest, as they say, is history. Mm. So, um, so yeah. What was the library like when you first came in and maybe like how has it changed over your time here I'm sure it's changed a lot it has changed a lot my first year is the year that Cary Hall was going under renovation so we were actually the library was in the trailer um, down what used to be the tennis courts um, really? but it's now the multi-purpose field on the other side of the football field hmm. so we were in trailers so the library was probably I'm trying to picture how how big how to describe it it was called a triple wide in trailers so it was it had bookshelves all around the perimeter and then desks um, for studying hmm. um, so we had about 10 um, percent of the collection. Um, the rest of it was in storage. So the first year 
was a little challenging, but anytime you start a new position, the first year's a little challenging. That is so different um, from what, probably what you were used very, to. Um, very different from what I was used to. But I have to say I loved it because everybody was in the trailer. So I got to meet everybody and got to know everybody my first year. When we moved into Cary Hall, you know, math faculty who I was used to seeing every day, Ian Brooks and Dallas Jacobs, they were on the third floor and I would go like a day or two without seeing them. So mm -hmm. if I, I felt really lucky starting that first year being in the trailer because I got to know everybody and I got to know the people and the people are here are amazing. Mm -hmm. And that's what, you know, people always say, oh, what do you like about Gilman? And I always say the people. Yeah. And it's just everybody's supportive of each other. Um, you know, the first year I was working here and I went to the bull roast and, you know, I walked in by myself <laughs> and, yeah. um, my sister was like amazed. She's like, you're going. And I, she's like, you're okay going by yourself. I said, yeah, cause once I get there, I know everybody there and yeah. you know, it's going to be fun. Right. So, um, so yeah, it's, um, it was a good first year. It's very different from the library now. Mm -hmm. Um, much larger space. We have the front part of the library. I always describe it as T-shaped for people who don't know it. So we have the front part of the library with the classroom um, where we can do instruction, um, the fiction collection, the reference collection, and then my favorite place, the reading room, um, which is the back room of the library with the wood paneling and the, Beautiful. the, the lead windows. Um, Did well, that used to be the cafeteria? Yes, Is that correct? Yeah, you're good. I was just going to say that. When Cary Hall first opened in 1910, it was the dining hall. Mm -hmm. And what is my office was the pantry with the dumbwaiter down to the kitchen. Mm. So um, students um, ate family style. So somebody from each table would go to the pantry and get the tray of food and then take it back to the table. And um, so, yeah, it's kind of neat to sort of see how the room has evolved. It's an amazing room. Um, it is an amazing room. How do you organize a library? So I'm sure that was one of the first things you did after the renovation was try to figure out where everything goes and yeah. try to make sense of the space, the T-shape, and you know what section am I going to put together first and yeah. why does that make sense? What is the process behind organizing a library? Um, well, everything we do, libraries, we classify things. So we use the Dewey Decimal classification. So we arrange everything by subject. Um, and then we have the fiction, except for fiction. Fiction, everything is shelved alphabetically by the author's last name. Um, it was difficult coming back because um, we did not have as much shelving as they did previously. I was told it was the librarian before me. She had organized everything for the move, put things in storage. And so when everything was coming back, I was getting the collection and replacing it. And I was told there was room for 10% growth of the collection. And yet when everything came back, we had to cut 10% of the collection because it didn't all fit on the shelves. Mm. <laughs> so, um, so there was a lot of jostling that we've done. Um, we had some material, um, the art, the arts collection, for example, it used to be in the back room and we had to like, you know, art books can be rather large. So we had to like alternate shelves um, and resize shelves and that shifted things. So we now we moved that to the front part. So we pulled all of the 700s out of the back room where the nonfiction is and we put it on shelves in the front room to make it easier for us to shelve them. And then it's, you know, they're all in one place as opposed to how it was before. So. Mm. Um, Sometimes it's trial and error and sometimes it's it's shifting things. We're always looking at the collection to 
weed, a library term, or mm -hmm. remove books that are no longer relevant to the collection, and then we're always adding new items too. So, um, so it's just a matter of you know looking at the new material, cataloging it, what subject area does it go into. How often do you order new books and, and what, I don't forget where your term was for that, but add to the collection? Is that a, on a monthly basis? Or um, is that weekly. Weekly basis, yeah. you get new books. Yeah. Wow. So, um, you know, sometimes it's in December, we probably didn't add anything new because <laughs> we had, um, you know, winter break in there. Um, but then, yeah, we're always looking at what's being published and um, what books might be relevant to the collection. Um, collection development is what we call it. Um, so we look at things for what covers our, uh, what's covered in our curriculum, what it can support in the curriculum, um, knowing the artifact paper that the sophomores usually do, so topics that are usually of interest to them. So what can we add for that? Um, and then what new fiction titles are coming out? What might people be interested in reading? So we're always um, looking at that and then we'll make a determination of what we wanna add to the collection. We have a cataloger who takes care of that for us. Mm -hmm. but, and yeah. you always put the new fiction right when you walk into the library. Yep. Everyone can see that right yep. away, which I like. Any new book we have um, in print goes there. So we do the fiction and the nonfiction. Harder to do with um, the ebooks that we add because mm -hmm. <laughs> there's no bookshelf to put them on. Are those pretty popular these days, the ebooks? I've never really gravitated to reading off of a screen yeah. especially right now with all the screen time but has that been pretty my mom swears by it she's like uh, what is it kindle she has kindle she on has her a phone. kindle that's through amazon i'm so. in line at she's in line at trader joe's yep. and she's reading a book on there mm -hmm. because she didn't you know she's not going to bring her book around right. with her but knock out a few pages it, when you're in line yeah some people really like that yes um I go back and forth. I love a print book. I love moving the bookmark to see like how far I've gotten in the book. Um, but I have gotten more used to having an ebook as well. Ebook is great when I was traveling. Um, is it a Kindle? I have an iPad, okay. um, and then I use the OverDrive app on my iPad, and it's great because carrying my iPad, which lets me like have my music and check my email, I can carry ten books with me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's mm -hmm. you know it's a lot easier to do it that way. Um, it's interesting. Gilman, um, especially in the upper school, not huge numbers for the eBooks. And part of us is that, is it that interest or is it just that they don't know that they're available? So we're trying to make people more aware of the eBooks. Lower school with the, um, with, since the pandemic, um, since we closed last March, um, eBooks in, for the lower school have exploded. Mm. They're really, really popular. Wow. So, um, for younger kids, for that's younger interesting. kids, yeah. So, um, it's easier, they can check them out and they can return them right away. Um, they're not able to come in and have checkout time in the lower school library like they did before. So, but it's a way for them to get new books, gotcha. So, um, but overall, for ebooks with the pandemic, they it, I think they I think the latest I heard was that ebooks were up like 40 percent most people still prefer a print book. And mm. we, we did a study a couple of years ago asking um, Gilman students and overwhelmingly they preferred a print book to an ebook. Yeah, I would have to agree with yeah. that. I I don't know, I just like getting my eyes off the screen mm -hmm. for a little bit. Just, I like holding the physical book. Yep. I don't know what it is, but um, but it's great to have Do you like options. the smell of a book? Some people like the smell of a book, so. Yeah, maybe a new book. A new book. I think Justin Baker was saying he likes yeah. the smell of books too. <laughs> I think, yeah, for sure. I like the yeah. smell of new books. I don't know. I just like the physical. Mm -hmm. It's in my hands. I see where yeah. I am. 
that's what I said. It's like the Kindle will tell you you're 56% of the way through the book. What does that mean? Yeah, but I'm like, I'd rather know that by holding the pages. Mm-hmm. And so. it's much easier, you know, I had the um, 13 Reasons Why. Like, oh, I could flip open and get the character's name as opposed to the, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to remind yourself, you can flip back pages. And it can, um, an ebook, it's much harder to do that. I do like audiobooks, though. I do have Audible mm. as a source of audiobook. And Chesare hooked me up. So I'm reading. Uh, Green Lights right now with Matthew yes, McConaughey. Matthew I've told you yes. that I love this. It was in my book order I submitted today. So so we will have this in the Gilman Library. Mm-hmm. Um, I So I usually, if I like a book this much, I usually just finish it up like, mm-hmm. in a couple days. But I've got, I'm, I've got like 20 more pages left. I'm savoring I it. I was going to say you're savoring it. You're you're trying to drag it out as long as possible. He's an awesome guy, though. And the thing I like most about this book, without giving too much away, is his life was just a series of random, like someone said, hey, man, like your short stories or you're writing in your journal a lot. Like he ri- he's written in his journal for 35 years or something oh every day. He doesn't miss Every a day. day. He doesn't miss a day. He didn't miss a day in 35 years writing in his journals. Wow. So when he was going to write this book, he told his wife, he's like, I have a crate. And they would bring the crate of journals wherever they moved oh and wherever he was shooting his movies. He'd bring the crate of journals. And he's like, I think it's time. I'm 51. I want to look back into these journals. He was always fearful of wow. You know, reading his old writing, which is tough. Like mm-hmm. I've, I've written journal entries and you don't really want to go back and read yeah. them. But he was like, it's time. <clears throat> so she's like, Matthew, you should just go into the desert and write your book. Because he was going to have a ghostwriter. He was going to have someone else write for him. And he's like, I should just do it on my own. Mm-hmm. So he went into the desert and he wrote this book. Um, but what I love about it is his life is just a series of someone told him, you're making all these journals. Your, your writing is pretty good. I forget who it was. Maybe it was his brother or something. Why do you want to go to law school? You should go to film school or you should mm-hmm. try something else. He's like, maybe I should go to film school. So he calls his dad. He's like, dad, I don't want to go to law school anymore. I want to go to film school. He goes to film school. He's in film school. He's like at a bar or something with his friends. And someone says, Matthew, that guy at the end of the bar there, he's shooting a movie this weekend. He's in town. He's in Austin, Texas or whatever. You should go talk to him. So he goes, sits down next to the guy, and they have a great time. They connect, and the guy says, Matthew, you should come out tomorrow and just check it out and come with us. And comes out the next day. He's on set, and they're like, Matthew, why don't you try this out? Why don't you, you know, test out this scene and see what you have? Is this the all right, all right, all right? Yeah, and he (laughs) says, all right, all right, all right. First line, just spits it out Um, off the cuff. And like the per the most perfect thing you could say yeah. in that moment because mm-hmm. bam, he was you know, he's in dazed and confused yeah. now. That's the movie he's in. And now he's famous. Yeah. Overnight almost. Like it was just those series of events wow. that you can't predict that just happened. Yeah. Just random. And I did a bad job with the all right, all right, all right. But when you first told me about the book, I went on to order it and there was an audio um, copy and he's reading it. Yep, yeah, that's what Cesare. And it was like it ended and I'm like no I want more yeah. so I think whenever you can get a book where the author reads it it's so much better mm-hmm. and, for sure and like just his voice is incredible anyway but um, to hear him reading from his what he's written from his journals is just 
it means that much more because it's it's coming from him. It's personal for him. Mm-hmm. Going back to the YA, one of the, my favorite audiobooks um, was um, Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds. I'm a huge Jason Reynolds Jason fan. Jason Reynolds, okay. He could read the phone book and I, I would be happy. Really? Yeah. He's just okay. got this amazing voice. And so um, he wrote the book Long Way Down and he read it. And it's kind of, it's a book that's told more in verse. So it's more like a poem. And he reads it. And I don't think I would have gotten as much out of it if somebody, if just some other narrator had mm. read it, or even if I had just read a print copy on my own, because it's a powerful story. And as him, as the author reading it, it's, it's when you're reading the poem and it's like, oh, am I pausing at the right place? Am I doing this? And so for him to be reading it, and he did a little Q&A afterwards, and he said that he didn't want anybody else to read it, that he, he wanted to do the audio version. Yeah, when it's your voice, I think it comes through yeah. more authentically maybe than if someone else was just yeah. reading your work. So I do like listening to him. But the thing is about this book with McConaughey is like he has his he has like his journal oh entries gosh. throughout. Like he has his he's a big fan of bumper stickers, so like he'll scatter these like little bumper stickers and whatnot in fortune cookies um, and you know yeah, you're not going to get that out of the audio. Right. These little segments. I, you, you actually might, but like he has got little pictures of, oh, wow. you know, he worked at a, I forget, he worked at a bar and he met someone. There's so many random events mm-hmm. in his life that just changed his direction and he scatters it throughout and the, you know, the fortune cookies and the, it was just cool. I like his little wow. writings throughout it. So can't wait to get the book in next week. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What? You brought another book too. You brought two books in. Today? I did, and Jody Bacalt's, um "Small Great Small Small Great Things." Hmm. Um, she is an author that I've read a number of her works, and you were talking earlier about how do you think up a story, and she is one that I'm always amazed. Um, she takes topics that you would not think that you would want to read about, and she just writes them with. You know, some of the language is beautiful, the clarity of the characters, and it just makes you, you know, it make at least for me, it really um, has an impact. And this is one of her, it's not her most recent, but um, again, story-wise, it is a, a black nurse who works um, in obstetrics. So she takes care of um, women who are going through labor and then the babies after they're born. And so she... Um, goes in to take care of, she comes on duty and she goes to take care of a family and she is then told by her supervisor that she is not to touch the baby. Turns out that the parents are white supremacists Mm. and since she's black, they do not want her taking care of their son. And something happens on the floor where she is the only nurse on the floor and he goes into distress. And so she goes to take care of him but then stops because she's been told that she can't. And another nurse comes in at the point where she's pulling back and not taking care of him. So the other nurse takes care of him and the baby dies. Mm. So then she is sued by the family for killing their their son. Oh my God. So this is, you know, the topic and you think, where do you think of this? And why would I want to read this book? Yeah. But the characters that she develops are so well-defined and so they come across, she comes across as, as so real. So the nurse hires a white woman to be her defense attorney. 
And so the nurse, so the, the attorney talks about the fact that it is, um, you know, the, the legal aspects of the case and that it's not about race. And the nurse is saying, no, it is about race. And there's, it's just this one scene in the book. It's so powerful that the nurse gets her attorney to go shopping with her. And so they walk into a store like Marshall's or something and the nurse is followed throughout the store. And when she leaves, she's asked to show her receipt before she leaves. The lawyer goes through and she's hungry. So she opens up a can of you know popcorn and is eating. She pays for her stuff and then she leaves, but she's not asked to see the, see the receipt. And it's the lawyer seeing everything that her client, the nurse is going through that makes her realize it is about it race. is about race. And it was just such an eye-opening experience for me for something that, you know, I don't have to worry about. And just the way that the, the way that the scene is written in the book was just so powerful that for something I don't have to think about every day, there are people, no matter what it comes down to, it is something that you have to think about every day. So it's just the way that she writes is just um, very powerful for me. Yeah, for sure. I've heard so, her name. I know she's a very she's, renowned author. Yeah. She's written probably one of her more famous books is uh, My Sister's Keeper. Right. And it's um, Cameron Diaz did the movie. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Which, which did stay true to the book. Um, and so it's where they have a child to become an, um, a bone marrow daughter bone marrow donor for their other daughter who has cancer. So it's the question of, should they have this child? Very, I mean, very heavy topics. Heavy topics, but. But that's what I love about books, and I'm sure you would agree, is that they're they're mirrors. They force Mm -hmm. you to look at yourself, your life, your, you know, the people in your life and your actions and make some questions, ask some questions. Yeah. and they're and, also, I'm sorry. Yeah, and they're and they're also this the story, and they're you know, they hook you with the characters, yeah. and there's just so much to reading that I don't know if you can find, even with TV series and yeah. movies, it's just it's it's an experience mm-hmm. almost because yeah. you're actively involved in it. Right, and you're the one reading it, so you're taking it in, you're filtering it through your experiences. When you're watching a film or a movie it's the director interpreting the script. And so you're kind of looking at it through their, mm-hmm. how, how they see the script. Are you are you a big movie TV watcher too, or would you I much am. rather read a book? Really, are you? <laughs> Depends on my mood. Okay. So um, no, I'm a, I'm a huge TV fan. Um, used to be more into film than I am now. Um, and I think it's just as I've gotten older and movies gotten more expensive and See all the graph, all the special effects and everything. Series so, are more popular, I'd say, today. Like yeah, people are, yeah, I think more people are more into TV, and especially with Netflix doing series and Hulu doing series and everything. But anything you've seen recently that you would recommend? TV um, show, series wise, movie wise, Netflix, like and on anything, anything or, yeah. or like broadcast TV or, <laughs> or something. Whatever, so, whatever you like. Um, I am a I'm a fan of The Crown. Although this last season was not my favorite. Okay. Um, and I like Claire Foy as Queen Elizabeth better than I liked Olivia Coleman as Queen Elizabeth. Um, I enjoyed, um, I do not play chess, but The Queen's Gambit was awesome. I've seen a few of those episodes. The the acting was just incredible. Yep. Um, and then I'm also, I, I'm not a huge cook, but I like cooking shows. I like um, Top Chef on Bravo. Um 
I've recently found supermarket stakeout on the Food Network. Mm. So um, I'm very eclectic. It's like kind of depends on what mood I'm in and flipping around. If Apollo 13 is on, I stop and watch it. Really? Okay. Um, the Martian's starting to become like that too. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I, I might have said this yesterday, but my problem is browsing. I'll spend more time browsing yeah. than actually watching. Um, but I am getting into cooking a little bit, so I might Are check you? out some of those. Yeah, yeah. Blue Apron. Sarah Lloyd gave me a free uh, Blue Apron, so I've tried it out. Now, I'm, now cool. I like it. I cooked Thanksgiving dinner for myself the first time. Usually, you know, pandemic, I was yeah. um, did not go to family. Um, we all socially distanced. And so cooked turkey dinner for my for myself the first time. How, so how was that? It actually came out pretty good. Great. Cool. I forgot the sweet potatoes, though. So now it's a, now it's going to be expected on a yearly basis from the family. My, I sent my family a picture of my blue apron meal. And they're like, why don't you ever cook at home? So now. <laughs> well, now I've sort of inherited Christmas because um, my father passed away a couple of years ago and he was, he had always done Christmas dinner. So um, for some reason, I, the first year um, I kind of did it, I think, because I always saw how he did it, like mm -hmm. um, the traditional English um, roast beef, Yorkshire pudding and everything. So, um, so I did it the first year and now I've sort of everybody's like, OK, you do Christmas. It's expected. It's <laughs> so, an annual thing. Yep. So awesome. Well, um, Diane, I would like to ask you one question about okay. just as the as the role of director of libraries here at Gilman. Mm -hmm. I know that there are probably so many preconceived ideas about what a librarian does and and the role yes. of the librarian that maybe people don't fully understand mm -hmm. what is required of our librarians here and what they do every day. And I think similar to my conversation on the podcast with Joanna and the, the mm -hmm. arch archivist, like, you know, people don't know what Joanna yep. does every day. And I think it's important to kind of, you know, get that on record sure. about like what you, what you do or what is uh, misunderstood about your thank position. You. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, it took a long time. One of my sisters thought that I actually just stamped books all day. Yeah, so people think I'm that just you just like, hang out in yeah. there and read books. I read books and I stamp books. And <laughs> there's a lot more to it than yeah. that. Um, it de and depends on the day, which part of what I really like um, is that no two days are the same for me. Um, there are days where I'll come in and in the past I'll have two or three classes that are coming into the library that I'm going to do research with. Um, so I have that. There are days where um, I don't have any classes coming in, so I can spend more time going through book catalogs of what's coming out and looking to see what to add to the collection. We will work on, um, we do bulletin boards and displays around um, Cary Hall. Um, so I'm trying to think what else I do. I also, um, I don't coach athletics. Um, I had a foot injury years ago, um, so I'm not able to. I used to run cross country and track and played basketball, but can't do that anymore. Um, so I try to get involved with other extracurricular activities. So mm -hmm. I actually work um, with Cesare and with Matt Zealand on the Gilman News. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we're having an editor's meeting <laughs> tomorrow because we, with the pandemic, it's been a little harder to get the news issues out. So I work with the students on the newspaper. When we have a musical, I work with 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 Mr. Rowell and Miss Carper on the musical, doing props in the box office. Um, but I'm trying to think what else. Um, some meetings. Um, I, as director of libraries, I'm on the administrative council, so I go to meetings with Mr. Smythe and Mr. and Dr. Um, Kudarovich and the division heads on 
what's going on in the school. Um, I'm trying to think what else I can. I mean, that's a lot. You, you said you. admissions too, right? Yes, um, I do admissions interviews for the Department of Enrollment, so prospective ninth graders um, coming into Gilman. So I get a chance to meet them and see what their interest is in coming hmm. coming to Gilman. So then I get to go to the accepted families receptions and get to meet the students that are that chose to come to Gilman. So mm-hmm. um, I love being here. It's um, I'm in year fifteen now, so. Um, it's it's been a great experience for me, and getting to try different things and do different things is is great. It's a great part of being here. With prospective families and students who are looking to come to Gilman, what are some of the the aspects of the school maybe that you try to emphasize in those conversations? Uh, um, I talk about the arts because I think um, that's one thing that um, people don't recognize with Gilman is how strong our arts program is. Um, the art studio in Cary Hall is another one of my favorite spaces with the, Agreed. the wall of windows to get all the natural light in and the work that Mr. Connolly does with students. Um, I draw stick figures because I'm not an artist, but um, I'm amazed at the art, um, just walking down the hallway and seeing things that students have done. Um, and then the traveling men and the musicals. So I, I try and talk a little bit about um, the arts programs because people know Gilman for the athletics and, mm-hmm. and the academic reputation. So I try to talk more about the arts and, and the ability for students to come in and try things that they might not have tried before mm-hmm. or to start something that if there's an area of interest that they have that we don't have a club for, start a club. So. Yep. Yes, for sure. And there are a lot of different areas like mm-hmm. that apart from the strong academics yeah. and the sports team. Mm-hmm. Like There's a lot to Gilman that maybe isn't you know, on the front page right. of the – of the flyer or whatever, right. but it's still very strong. The mm-hmm. arts is, that's what attracted me here actually. Is, really? Yeah. I was walking through the hallways. I was like, wow, these kids are ridiculous mm-hmm. artists. I still do that. I'm like, cause I, I go down to Mr. Connolly's art room on a typical year and mm-hmm. like kind of participate and sit in on his classes and paint. Ooh, I didn't know we could do that. Oh, it's another <laughs> secret. Well, well, Connolly like walks around. He's like, Jake, like this is, you know, this face is not correct because I do kind of cartoons yeah. and caricature drawings of people's faces. So I started picking up oil painting and doing some portraits. Oh, and Connolly's like, no, I love his critiques because he'll tell you how it is. Yeah. I think all the students will say that, too. But that's what I loved mm-hmm. on my first visit. Not only the lacrosse, which I knew about mm-hmm. and the academics, which is, you know, that's that's clear. It's walking through the hallways and seeing the yeah. paintings and the art. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, well, awesome, uh, Diane. And maybe another question is, why do you think libra- libraries in general are so important? Why are, why are they necessary? I know I have, I have a sister mm-hmm. who's in fifth grade, and it's almost a chore to kind of get her to read <laughs> and get her to be engaged in reading mm-hmm. and books. Um, whereas easy with me, I've always loved yeah. it. You know, but like for students who don't have that natural inclination, what is the purpose or why are libraries so important? It's a great question. And I've got a million things running through my head. Um, I don't really feel bad for kids these days, but I do feel bad for kids these days um, because I didn't grow up with an iPhone or a smartphone. So I, you know, we ran, we went outside and played, mm-hmm. used our imagination um, didn't have satellite TV or streaming TV or anything. So for entertainment, picking up a book was very natural. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, to have your sister in fifth grade right now, 
she's distracted by too many things. So, um, you know, you can play games on your phone and you can watch videos on your phone. So I can understand the inclination. I, iPad, Disney Plus, yeah. TikTok, everything. Yeah. So um, it's always, and like brains take it as a challenge because, I mean, I've, how many times those students have said, oh, I don't like to read anything. There's nothing that's, there's nothing I, that's interested me. And I take that as a challenge because I'm like, no, there's something out there <laughs> for everyone. So a lot of it's finding out what students are interested in and trying to show them books that are out there, which is why it's great that there's so many voices that are out there that, you know, um, Harry Potter for kids who, who like more stories and magical things and um, Walter Dean Myers for sports and um John Grisham started a young adult version with like detectives and lawyers and stuff. So it's finding something that you, that's of interest to you and guaranteed you can find, it might take a little while, but you can find something yeah. that's of interest. Um, you, you talk about libraries and I remember years ago, uh, it was one of my first two or three years here. And I used to teach a ninth grade class called Intro to Upper School Technology. <laughs> and not a great name, but it was basically the head of technology services would talk about scientific calculators and Excel and everything. And I would do the library research aspect. And one of the students asked me one day what I was going to do in, in five years when I didn't have a job anymore. <laughs> oh, my like, God. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, what do you mean? What do you know that I don't know? He goes, well, with the Internet now, we don't need libraries. Mm. And I was like, oh, let me tell you. So, um, so it actually led to a great discussion. And I said, okay, but you know, okay, you listen to satellite radio, right? You have Sirius XM. He's like, yeah. I said, well, that evolved from FM radio, which evolved from AM radio, which evolved from, so it's, you know, sort of how things progress. So I said, well, we have the internet now. Libraries are still vital because anybody can put anything on the internet. And how do you know if it's reliable? And how do you know if it's good information? Mm. And I can help you sort through that. I can evaluate things and make things available to you, which is the library databases. So, you know, so when you search any of the resources on the library's website or on the library's Canvas page now, um, we that information's already been evaluated. So you know it's reliable. Whereas the internet, anybody can post anything. Libraries are also vital, becoming more vital as safe places for people to go to. When um, we had the Freddie Gray riots, um, the Pratt Library stayed open, and that was a refuge for for people, a place for a safe place for them to go to. Um, there are public libraries have a lot of services that they provide, and people like doing taxes, um, job hunting, learning computer skills for people who don't have them. So. They're meeting places, they're community places mm -hmm. as well. So that's why I look forward to after we get through the pandemic and everything, everybody gets vaccinated and everything, is that having the library open again so that students, when they have a free period, can come to the library. They can come to the library during lunch, mm -hmm. which we've had before. Um, you know, we had contests sometimes where we would have a pizza lunch in the library, and we can't do that now. So I'm looking forward to the day that we can do that so it's a community space again and people can it's open to everybody absolutely yeah looking forward to the traffic coming back yes. in and guys looking for books and just you know walking through the aisles yep. um for sure i miss being in there more often yeah. uh miss the keurig down there I was say we miss you too we'll have <laughs> keurig coffee again someday yeah yeah <laughs> we'll Get have pie day mr kumar back in there too yep. um last question is so for the podcast, I've been talking to a lot of different people on mm -hmm. campus and probably a lot of the people I've had on so far have been 
faculty from the upper school. I've mm-hmm. had a few middle school teachers and a couple um, lower school teachers. But is there anyone that you would be interested in listening to if I were to have them kind of share their story or what they do on campus or learn a little bit more that's, about them on the podcast? That's a great question. Um, first name that popped in my head was um, Lori Bristow. Miss Bristow. Mm co-athletic director yeah for sure that she would really be interesting to hear her story and and how she got here um i also just thinking again um tammy testerman who's the lower school um admin assistant she's been here for a long time so i'd be curious to sort of hear that her story with you know working with different heads of the lower school and Mm. sort of how she's seen the lower school change because um, you know, it used to be prep one through um, fifth grade, and now we've got added a kindergarten and a pre-K since she's been here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's amazing how the school evolves has evolved. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely try to get those individuals or on Mr. here. Mr. Kumar. Mr. Kumar, 100%. I was going to say, always, always would be up to hearing Mr. Kumar's stories because he was middle school soccer coach and... He's got some great stories. So I would love to hear Mr. Kumar. He is a librarian himself. You could just hang out with him. And, uh, yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's, it's been, been a, a lot of fun. Um, and we'll see you in the library. Sounds Thanks. good. Thanks. Awesome.